Take your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Matthew 6, verse 13. We are finishing up the model prayer today. Uh, We get to the end of it. Next Sunday, we'll be looking at the last two verses of where Jesus talked about the model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 and 15. We'll be looking at forgiveness, a great message, I believe, for Easter Sunday. Uh, Invite your friends. Christmas is when people who don't go to church normally come to church. Easter is when people who used to come to church come to church. So invite, I mean, that's just statistically who, who comes. So invite people to church. They're going to hear a message of forgiveness. Forgiveness not just among ourselves, though that's part of it, and that's probably a pretty good message to preach to people who used to come to church but don't anymore. But forgiveness that we can receive from Jesus. But that'll be next week, so make sure you're inviting people to come to that because they'll listen at Easter. They'll, they'll, okay, sure, I'll give it a shot. This may be your chance to invite somebody you've been thinking needed to come. So far in the model prayer, we have looked at, uh, first we've seen that, that we must honor God. Now, the beautiful thing about the model prayer is that not only are we learning how to pray, pray like this. We are learning a model that we can shape our prayers after. But we're learning something about God and ourselves as we work through this. That was the, I'd say, brilliance of Jesus. But, I mean, is it really brilliance when you know everything? We consider people brilliant when they know a lot more than somebody else. Well, when they know everything, does brilliant really cover it? But I guess that's the beauty of how he taught. In teaching us how to pray, Jesus was teaching us something about God very profound and something about ourselves that was very profound. So first we see in verse 9 that in our prayer we must honor God because God is worthy of honor. In our prayers we see in verse 10 that we must trust God because we, 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 can't, we can't place our trust anywhere else. He's got it. He's big enough. He's, he's, he is God enough to cover everything for us. So we, we trust Him. In verses 11 and 12, we see that God provides. We, we see that He not only provides for our physical needs, uh, food, uh, daily bread, but He also provides our spiritual needs. He provides forgiveness. And then today, in verse 13, we're going to see that God protects God protects. Again, we're, we're praying these things back to Jesus, but we, we, we want to learn these, thing, these, these facts about God so that as we pray, when we pray, when we're talking to Him, our prayer reflects what we know of God. You know, a lot of religions pray. Uh, in Hindu, for example, there are literally millions of gods. Now, you can't know those gods personally. They have some major ones that they have, have, have described and, and, and 
talk about and pray to, but, but you could pray to any one of them, but not know anything about that God, though they aren't really gods, not knowing anything about that God you're praying to. So you really just, you know, oh, somebody told me this is the God of, of wealth, so I'm kind of broke right now. I'm going to pray to that one. Now, I don't know how they do the wealth thing, and I don't know how they're going to, but I'm going to pray to it anyway. See, God does not want that kind of relationship with us. God does not want us to pray blindly into space, hoping like, did you know that the government spends lots and lots of money on alien research? It, they, there are antenna in, in Colorado, I think, maybe Utah, Arizona, right around the Four Corners area, that, that are huge. And it, I mean, they are monstrous, and they are hoping to hear something out in space that's rhythmic. You know, that's, all, that's all they're looking for. They, they're not looking for words. They're not looking for, hello, earthlings. That's not what they're expecting. They're hoping to get something that goes, instead of all the noise they hear constantly, they're hoping in the midst of that to hear, you know, something rhythmic that says, hey, that wasn't static. That was something tapping five times. That's what they're looking for. But we in turn, just in case they're listening the same way we are, we broadcast stuff that's going on straight out into space, hoping that somewhere out there some alien hears what's going on and says, wow, they're intelligent. That's the kind of thing people pray sometimes. I'm just going to send this out into space and hope that somebody, something, somewhere hears it and answers. That's not how God wants us to pray. God wants us to honor Him because we know that He's worthy of honor. God wants us to trust Him because we need to know that He is capable of doing beyond what we can imagine. God wants us to pray knowing that He is able to provide everything we need, both physical and spiritual, and we need to pray to Him today, we see, knowing that He is able and wants to protect us. Now, protection can be needed in a moment's notice, right? If you're on Facebook, you already know the story I'm about to tell. Um, Thursday, 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 uh, we were walking into Sam's. Well, I'll begin with, I had to pull my gun for the first time ever on Thursday. Now, had to might be, we might get to debate the had to part, but I felt like I was in a situation where I had to. Walking into Sam's in the northeast part of San Antonio, Shirts, Live Oak, that area. As we were walking in, 10 feet from the door maybe, this guy comes tearing out of there, which seemed odd. You're running out of the entrance door. Things didn't click immediately to what was going on. Pushing a flatbed with a couple of TVs on it. And not... Four steps behind him comes this little lady who is an employee at Sam's yelling, stop, stop, stop him. He, he's stealing. He's stealing. And so, you know, we're standing there and it's, it's the six of us. And, and the, they are kind of already past me. And as he goes by and she comes by, I begin to think, okay, what do I need to do in this situation? So I take a couple of steps toward him. He Grabs one TV, there's an SUV just outside the door with the back open, pointed toward the door. Uh, he, he, he grabs one TV and throws it in. And while I'm 
thinking, what should I do? As most of y'all know by now, especially now, I have a concealed carry permit and I carry everywhere I go. So I make the decision, all right, I don't know where this is going to go at the moment, so I just put my hand on the, the grip. I, I pull my shirt up and I put my hand on my gun. He, he grabs that first TV, he throws it in. About that time, she, she ain't giving up. She wants those TVs back. I mean, it was personal to her, and I understand that. I mean, that's her job. Those TVs pay her salary, and this dude's, you know, she's earning a living, and he's not. He's, you know, a crook, criminal. So she grabs that flatbed, and she starts pulling it back about the time he's throwing one in. So he turns around, sees that his, his, his booty is gone, and uh, booty's a pirate word. I'm not talking. <laughs> Sees that uh, his plunder is gone. And uh, he starts to kind of stand up. And about the time he does that, the driver gets out of the vehicle and turns and faces all of us. Well, I was thinking, okay, this is a robbery in progress. Is, is this the kind of thing I want to pull my gun on? But I had my hand on it anyway. My first thought is no. I'm, I'm not going to shoot a guy over a TV. That's stupid. It's not my TV. Um, I don't know that I'm going to shoot a guy over my TV. Uh, it, it, you know, but we'll decide that if it happens. But then when he turns and the driver gets out and... Now I'm facing two guys, and it amazes you, it should amaze you, if you're ever in a similar situation, I've not been to any of those tactical training places where the thing pops open and you got to decide whether to shoot real quick. I haven't done any of that. It looks fun. I mean, it really does, but I haven't done it. But even in those situations when you're not trained, you begin to run through those scenarios in your head. So as soon as that guy stepped out of his driver's side of the truck, I looked at his hands to see what he had. He didn't have anything. There wasn't anything in his hands. He did have a tattoo right there. I saw that. But uh, no, nothing in his hands. So, okay. No weapons. The guy, the thief, didn't have anything. But they both turned, and the driver, he may or may not have taken a step, but he, they, they were interested in that other TV, I figured. And I knew that little lady wasn't going to go down without a fight. Uh, that was pretty clear. Uh, so I drew, and I pointed it at the thief. And at that point, he, he backpedaled, backed up into the truck, and said, let's go, let's go. And the driver turned around and got in, and he yelled some things at me that weren't nice. Um, and they peeled out and drove off. Uh, and I you know, put my gun back up, and you know, in, that, in those moments, I'm thinking, you know, I was thinking, do I... I'm not going to shoot anybody over TV. I'm certainly not going to get in a fist fight over a TV because I'm probably going to get my honey kicked, and I'm not interested in that. Um, but that, that protective instinct came out pretty quickly. I, and, and we had no idea. Now, that story took me three minutes, four minutes to tell. The whole thing took 15 seconds, maybe, because they were only a few feet from the... Uh, the door. I mean, um, to act it out for you, because, you know, really, why not? Um, it was run down there with the car, do, 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 get on the other side of it, grab it, throw it in, it's gone. I'm, go, go, go. And they were gone. I mean, it was just about that quick. But in my head, it seemed like it was a lot quicker. I mean, a lot slower than that. My point is that, that protection was needed. My, my, my main thought this whole time was, 
okay, my family is behind me. Now, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how interested they are in stealing. I knew they didn't have any intention of coming back in the store, but now that she's pulled the TV back, what's going to happen? So I was, that's, that's what I was cued, keyed up on and, 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 and focused in on was protection. That's a great story. I mean, it's fun to tell. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it is. I, you know, that's the whole reason I got my concealed carry permit was to, for protection. And we need those things just when we least expect it. But y'all, spiritual life is the same way. We will need protection spiritually. And as this verse talks about specifically from temptation at a moment's notice. Now, we also put ourselves in the realm of temptation too often. Uh, and I've thought about since Thursday, would I have even begun to move toward that guy if I didn't have a weapon on me? Would I, would I have even stopped or would I have taken the kids and the family inside and, and, and said, bye TVs? Probably something along those lines. Now, if he had gone after her, then hopefully I would have stepped up and taken a beating uh, so that she wouldn't have to. But but I don't know. So my point is that I was, in some sense, putting myself in a situation where I needed protection. If I had just backed off, gone inside, I never would have had to pull my gun. But because I chose to be there, I then felt the need. Let's take that to our, our lives and, 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 and the temptations to sin in our lives. There are often times we put ourselves in the midst of the situation that we shouldn't be in, and we need protection from temptation. God is just as real to us in that situation as He is when temptation surprises us. He wants to protect us from both, and we'll see that today in this passage. Matthew 6, 13. Jesus ends the prayer, And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Then in brackets it says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do not bring us into temptation, Jesus prays. Now, we know Jesus didn't pray this prayer. Now, some of it he, he did. We can look at a lot of his prayers, and, 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 and we can see him doing some of the things. But Jesus did not have to pray to not fall into temptation. But on the other hand, I think he, I think he did. You know, we have this idea of, see, I wanted y'all to agree with me first, and then for me to say, no, you're wrong. It was more fun that way. We have this idea that Jesus just skirted through life and, and, and things didn't bother him. But we see at the temptation, the, 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 after his 40-day fast, the, the temptation in the wilderness that we talked about a few weeks ago, or a couple, few months ago, I guess it's been now. He was tempted we see when we go forward to chapter, I believe, 26 of Matthew, where he's in the Garden of, of Gethsemane, and he's praying, Lord, let this cup pass from me, not my will but yours. Why did he pray that? Why not my will but yours? Obviously, his will was that that cup would pass. The temptation was there to not do what he knew was coming. So sure, Jesus was tempted. So he could pray this and, and mean it. But he also prayed it as a model for us. 
Do not bring us into temptation. This is protection from temptation. I'm, I'm emphasizing from here because in a minute I'm going to emphasize something else. This is te- uh, protection from temptation. Now, we need to understand something about God as we look at this passage. God does not tempt us. As a matter of fact, James 1.13 says, God does not tempt us. So this prayer must not be, God, please don't put sin in front of me so that I am not tempted to do it. Rather, what this is asking is, God, don't lead us to tempting situations. While God does not directly tempt us, while God does not fashion something sinful and say, Ooh, Michael, look. While He doesn't do that, He does not only allow us, but oftentimes lead us into situations where we will be tempted. Why? Well, all we have to do is go back and look at the temptation of Jesus. He did it with Jesus. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, God, to be tempted of the devil. God said, Jesus, go to the wilderness to be tempted. Yeah. And he does that with us too. Because, well, I don't have a good because for you. I mean, we, we, we know, we can ex- assume that Jesus was led there as an example for us. This is how you beat temptation. But if he leads us to that, he's asking something of us. He is asking us to ac- exercise our faith. As a matter of fact, he's asking us to do what this passage says to admit our weakness. See, this prayer, dear God, do not lead me into temptation. Don't lead me into temptation the way you led Jesus. Why? Because I know I can't handle it. I know that I'm weak. I know that when temptation comes, I want to go after it with both hands and both feet. I want that. Don't lead me into that because I won't make the choice Jesus did. I'll choose to turn the stones into bread. I'll choose to, the, the, the kingdoms of the, the... I mean, I'll choose to throw myself off and get caught and make a big show of myself. I'll, I'll choose the kingdoms over the world, over the cross. I will choose those things, God, if you put those things in front of me. It is admission that we can't do it. But what God wants us to understand is that we are right. We can't do it. I can't do it. Jesus knew that. Fast forward again to chapter 26 to the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew that the disciples could not stand up to the temptation that was coming. When he told them, came back to them, they'd been asleep a couple of times. And he tells them at the end, pray that you don't fall into temptation. I've often taken that, and probably a lot of us have, pray that you don't fall into the temptation to sleep. I don't think anymore that that's what he was doing. He was saying, pray that you don't fall into the temptation that's coming. What was that? Well, all 12 of them ran away when he was arrested. Peter, followed behind at a distance, went to what was going on, but then denied him three times, the third time cursing that he did not know the man. 
The prayer was, don't fall into the temptation of denying me. Don't fall into the temptation of leaving me. Don't fight, don't think that you can live up to the temptation on your own. Because what had they said? The disciples had told them a number of times, we'll never fall away. Peter said, Lord, I don't care if they kill you, I'm going with you. Big Peter, right? And Jesus says, you know what? You say that, but you know who's saying it? You. You need to pray that you don't fall into temptation. You need to pray that the Spirit is there when you are tempted and gives you the answer, gives you the out. Because we know in Corinthians, Paul said, there is no temptation that's befallen you, no temptation that's come on, on you, no temptation that you butt up against that God has not provided a way out of. Why? Because we prayed that morning, that evening, whenever, God do not bring us into temptation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in the uh, 30s and 40s in Germany uh, when the German church all got behind Hitler because, you know, he was a nationalist. He, he said really good things that, that the German church thought, wow, that sounds good. People should have been saying this all along. And Hitler said it. The church got behind him. And supported him for the most part. There were those in the church that didn't though and said, y'all, he is leading us down a path we don't want to go. And they were mocked. They were, they were uh, uh, laughed at. They were put to the side. They lost their pastorates, some of them, over it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of those who said, guys, we can't follow this guy. In the end, uh, he was actually a part of an assassination attempt on Hitler's life and then was killed in a concentration camp, but spent some time in a concentration camp, and then was hung right before the war was over. Literally, as the U.S. troops were marching into the town, they knew in just a few days they're going to be at this concentration camp, kill everybody that's here. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of those that died. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Now, that man knew the cost of discipleship, right? He died for his faith. He wrote in there, the disciple is conscious of his weakness. Do not lead me into temptation, right? Conscious of his weakness and does not expose himself unnecessarily to temptation in order to test the strength of his faith. Stop there for a second. I don't choose to put myself into tempting situations just so I can prove to myself that I will overcome it because I won't. I understand my weakness. Christians, he says, ask God not to put their puny faith to the test, but to preserve them in the hour of temptation. God, don't lead me into temptation because I don't think, or rather, I know I can't handle it. God says, you're right, you can't. But this is also a prayer for protection in temptation. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us, he says. Deliver us. This is protection in temptation. Do not bring us into tempting situations, God. Deliver us from temptation, but then, or, or do not bring us into 
situations. Keep us from temptation. But then he says, but deliver us. We know we're going to be in tempting situations. We know things are going to come up in our lives. We know that the devil roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, looking for people that he can tempt and draw away from God. That's what the devil does. And we say, we pray, God, deliver us. Deliver us. Rescue. That's the word. Rescue us. Keith is a rescuer. Glenn, you used to be a rescuer, right? Not so much now. Yeah, okay. Keith's a rescuer. He's the one that goes into the burning building to pull people out. That's the prayer we are praying to God. God, I'm in the midst of a burning building. Temptation is flaming up around me. I need you to rescue me. What is the rescue? The rescue is Scripture. In Jesus' temptation, it was Scripture. Much as I love Keith, he's not as good as Scripture. At least not in temptation. Scripture's not going to help me in the middle of a house fire usually. If I'm just sitting there watching it burn down, I want Keith. But in the midst of temptation, when I am in the middle of everything that I know that I love but also know that I shouldn't do. My defense is Scripture. That was Jesus' defense. For every temptation, it was to quote Scripture. Even at the Garden of Gethsemane, when he would say, your will be done. Does that sound like Scripture? Does that sound like a prayer somewhere? Maybe verse 10 of Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what Jesus was praying. Jesus' defense was Scripture. We cannot fight temptation alone. That's why we pray this prayer. God, do not bring us into temptation. Protect us from it, but deliver us. Protect us in it. And protect us from the evil one, he says. Some translations say evil. Some say evil one. The, the grammar doesn't let us know specifically, but Matthew and other places using the same word, it tells us that it's probably evil one. Specifically, he is talking about protection from Satan. Satan, we are told, Satan the disciples were told that uh, wanted to sift them like wheat, particularly Peter, and he did. He ran Peter through that sifter. Now, you watch cooking shows nowadays, they usually use a little strainer and they tap, 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 tap that strainer and that sifts the flour. That's not the sifter I used growing up and probably not the one y'all used either. You had it in the flour, yeah, that's, that's those newfangled ones you get to do this with. No, I had the one with the handle, right? And, and we dried it in the oven. Did y'all do that too? Because you, it couldn't rust because then you get rust in your flour, so you had to dry it immediately. But if you put it in the oven too long, that little wooden handle burned. Eh. So I've heard. But, but think about what that sifter does. There the, are the two metal wheels in there, two little metal wires that grind that flour against a, 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 a grate at the bottom, pushes that flour through it. If, if that flour were alive, it would not be a pleasant experience. It sifts it, it grinds it, it pushes it through a, a rough, difficult situation so that there's something better on the other side. Now, in the midst of the situation, it doesn't seem better, does it? 
The devil wants to sift you, Jesus tells Peter. I'm praying for you that you are not, I believe he said overcome, that you do not give in to temptation. But the sifting makes him better in the end if he doesn't give in. So protection from Satan because he wants to sift us. No, everything you do bad, the devil didn't make you do it. The devil's not omnipresent. The devil is not everywhere. He can get around in a hurry, but he's not here right now and also in New Orleans and also in San Francisco. I mean, he, he's got folks working for him, but he's not everywhere. So, it, but there are particular times when I believe Satan is orchestrating events. He's more of the worldwide scale. I believe he's got his little fellas to, to handle us individually. But there are things he wants to do, not just to me personally, but to the church. And my personal actions hurt the church. Protection from others that would mislead us. Protection from evil that would come along and say, I know you believe that, but I mean, really? Or Maybe they don't even make you doubt your faith. They will just bring you along to those things that they're involved in that you know you shouldn't be involved in. But because they're your friends, because they're your family, you're involved with them too. Will mislead you, take you into, uh, into places you shouldn't go. Things that would hurt you. Sin hurts. Sin is dangerous. Most sins have a... a, a uh, a wounding component to them. Well, you know, it doesn't... Uh, yeah, I can, I, can, I can have sex before I'm married or commit adultery. Well, the uh, diseases, emotional scars, those are wounding components. Drugs, that eh, doesn't hurt me. Oh, really? Oh, really? Just Google before and after meth if you, if you don't think drugs hurt you. It, this... Sin hurts, and when we pray, God, protect us from the evil one, we are asking him to keep us from those things that would harm us. And then, last thing maybe, is from the evil in our hearts. Here's the reality, folks. I don't need the devil to tempt me. I don't need a demon, you know, I don't need little me with horns standing on this shoulder to get me to do things. My heart is already evil and full of... How's it go, honey? Jaden's talking to you. The heart is evil and full of... Desperately wicked. Incurable. That's my heart. That's her favorite verse. You know, some people say, my favorite verse is John 3.16. My favorite verse is uh, Jesus loves everybody. That's not in there. Um, my favorite... Not my wife's. The heart is wicked above all things and incurable. But it is. I don't need a demon. I got a devil that lives right here inside of me, and it's me. It's sin. It's my sin nature. And I have to fight that every day. God, deliver me from the evil one. We have seen that I have seen the enemy, and it is me. I am the evil one, and I need to be protected from me. I need God to do that. But y'all, this is protection for, and I think this is the beautiful part of this passage, as lovely as these other things have been. This is protection for, not just from. This is protection for something, not just from sin or from temptation. 
This is a plea to protect our fellowship with God. See, that's what it's about. God has our physical interests in mind. Don't go sleeping around with anybody because you don't know what kind of diseases you'll get. Don't do drugs because they kill you. I mean, he, he has those things in mind, but those things aren't the goal. They are the means. Holiness is not the goal. As much as God wants me to be holy, that's not the purpose of my life. Holiness is the means, not the end. My holiness is the means to my fellowship and uninterrupted relationship with God. That's the end. That's the purpose. So when I pray, God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, I'm not saying, God, keep me good because you like me good. I'm saying, God, keep me good so our relationship isn't broken. God, keep me holy so that I can talk to you and I can hear you. God, keep me holy so I can be more like you because I'm your kid and I want to grow up to be just like you. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's the end. Not the, oh, I'm good. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I think, comes into play here real quick. Lest anybody boast. We boast in our goodness, right? That's what we want to do. We want to tell people how good we are. And God says, you know, I want you to be holy, but I want you to be holy so that we have a relationship. And then the passage ends, and like I said, yours has brackets around it probably, or if you use the NIV, it's probably not even there. It's down in your notes in the, in the bottom of, uh, on the bottom of the page. It says, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This does not show up in early Bibles. Now, what do I mean by early Bibles? You're, you're going to learn a little about Bible translation this morning. I believe the Bible is inerrant. I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. What does that mean, Michael? That means I don't believe there are any errors in the Bible. But what I mean by that is I don't believe that there are any errors in the originals. The original Greek and the Hebrew that was written. I don't believe there are any mistakes in there. And we don't count grammar as a mistake. I'm talking about those things it talks about. Whether it's talking about the creation or whether it's talking about salvation. I don't believe there are errors anywhere in there. But what happens when you translate, especially when you translate by hand, is you get errors. You get, whoops, he repeated something. Whoops, they added a note. Maybe this guy here said, oh, what he means is this. And five, six, seven copies later, what he, this guy meant as just a little note to explain something became a part of what they were copying, so it entered into Scripture. That happened fairly, uh, fairly often. None of that stuff affects our faith. There's nothing like that that says, oh, no, now we've ruined Christianity. We can't believe it at all. Nope, nothing like that. Well, what this is is one of those passages that... They took a little bit from this part of what Jesus said somewhere and a little, bit of part, uh, from, a little bit from this other part of what Jesus said. And somewhere along the way, somebody added that because they said he either said it somewhere else or this sounds like something he would have said or it was a note that somebody wrote when they were praying it and said, wow, I just, this is great. And this was their, their praise at the end, which honestly is a great way to end this. Jesus didn't end his prayer this way, but that's okay. 
We can look at this and say it was a fitting end. They ended with praise. They ended back where they were. This, this verse, and that's probably what the guy was doing when he put it in there, takes us back to the beginning. Yours is the kingdom. We've already talked about the kingdom. And we haven't talked about power and glory, which is another reason why they think, okay, if he never mentioned it in the prayer and hadn't really talked about it at all in the Sermon on the Mount, why would he just throw it in here all of a sudden? But it does take us back to this, this God, this, this king who, who is powerful. We praise him at the end of our prayer. We go back and we say, God, all of this stuff is hard for me. Temptation is hard. Not giving in to temptation is hard. But just like I said at the beginning, God, it's your kingdom. That's what's important. It's your will. That's what's important. I can trust you because you can provide for my physical needs. You can provide for my spiritual needs. And right here at the end, God, when maybe I've given up by the end of my prayer, because I've gotten to the really hard stuff now. I've gotten to those things I like, but I can't do. I'm not supposed to do. Things that I'm supposed to give to you and never take back. Those things, that's hard, God. And this guy who put this in here said, but you know what? It's his kingdom. It's his power. It's his glory, right? That's the end. That's the goal. His glory, not ours. Amen. So it's a beautiful way to end the prayer. So this morning, I need you to see that when you pray, you need to know that God protects us from tempting situations. Pray that God will protect you from tempting situations. He won't always do it because He needs us to learn. He needs us to grow. He needs us to stretch. But we need to know, understand that we're weak and unable. And we need to know going in, God knows our weaknesses and He knows our inabilities. So God, protect me from a tempting situation. God, when I am in a tempting situation, protect us in temptation. Because God will rescue us from sinning. God will always provide a way out. It does not matter what your temptation is, God provides a way out. It does not matter what you're in the midst of. God provides a way out. There has no temptation befallen you that Jesus didn't understand. It's all common to man. Jesus got it. Everybody has it. But in your temptation, God provides a way out. And why does he do this? Because he likes you? Well, yeah. I mean, he loves you. But he does it so that it preserves a relationship, a continuous relationship with you because that's what he wants. He wants you holy, but more than that, he wants you. He wants you holy because he wants you. He wants you holy because that's what you need to be to have a relationship with him. And through Jesus, we are made holy. See, God's ultimate protection is the eternal protection he provides. You buy a TV, they'll say, you want to buy the extended warranty on it? How long is that? It's three more years. So really, you're only promising me this for four years? I want the, I want the eternal warranty on my TV. They're going to tell you no. They're not promising that. Jesus does. 
That's the seal of the Holy Spirit. That is salvation, an eternal promise. See, the reality is I carry a gun for protection, but next time the gun draw may not work. You know, I'm, you know, I've got one. They may have three. Who, who knows? It, 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 it may not stop anything. I saved a TV's life Thursday morning. <laughs> Only one TV's life, though. The other TV didn't make it. Next time, I might not save a TV's life. But as, 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 un, uh, as unsure as, as, as my form of protection might be, God's isn't. God's protection is not unsure. God's protection is not if and maybe. God's protection in temptation is sure. God's protection in eternity is sure. God protects. I know that's hard to see. It's small. There are a lot of verses. But at the beginning of those letters, you see G-O-S-P-E-L. This is the, the backbone to what we learned yesterday in how to share the gospel. G-O-S-P-E-L. God's character, the offense of sin, the sufficiency of Christ, the personal response necessary, the eternal urgency of the need of salvation, and then the life transformation that comes from Jesus. That is the gospel. And the way we learned to explain it it's called the record of your life. And my left hand here is going to be your life. Everything that you have done is recorded in a book. That, my phone's going to be that book. Nowadays, it's all digital anyway, so it'll probably be on a phone somewhere. Everything I've done, everything I've thought, everything I've said, everything you've done, thought, and said is recorded. Everything I've done is right here. Obviously, there are a lot of things I don't want you to read in this book. But God knows them all. Everything is right there. God is here, my right hand. God is, his character is that he loves us. That he wants a relationship with us. But his character is also that he is just and holy. The Bible says that God cannot, God will not leave sin unpunished. And we have a sin problem. Even if my good outweighs my bad, and I kind of hope it does, it just makes me feel good, it doesn't matter. The sin problem is still there. That sin keeps me from getting any higher to God. I can't get past my sin, and God will not come past my sin to join me. Right? He wants holiness. So he can't do it. So what God did was sent his son. We needed to take care of the offense of sin, the, the problem of sin, the offensiveness of sin to God. And so he sent the only sufficient sacrifice in Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life, no sin. He died as a result of sin, but not as a result of his own sin. The Bible says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we would become His righteousness, God's righteousness, in Him. Isaiah, 800 years before the crucifixion, said, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. 
See what happened? Jesus took our sin, and he got rid of it. Dead, buried for three days. On the third day, next Sunday, we get to celebrate. He arose, and he went to heaven. That took care of the sin problem. But the other problem is we have to make a personal response. Jesus will not, or God will not come down and grab us. We have to choose that personal response. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we make the personal response to accept Him as our Savior. And we then have salvation. There is a need, though. There's an urgency. There's an eternal urgency. We are not promised today. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised that we will make it home this afternoon from church. So right now is when you need to make a decision. Will you follow Jesus or will you not? Your decision decides your eternity. Maybe you have tomorrow to choose again, but I don't know that. So the urgency is that you must make a decision today. And if you decide not to follow Jesus today, you have chosen your eternity. And then because of that, that salvation, because of that coming together with Jesus and choosing, we have life transformation. Ephesians says we are raised, uh, we are, are made for good works through salvation in Jesus. Now, this is not knowledge of Jesus. This is not, oh, Michael told me about Jesus, I know who he is, so I'm saved. This is a saving faith. This is a faith of a parachute. When you jump out of an airplane and you have a parachute on, you can flap your arms all you want to, but you're not going to fly. You can kick your legs all you want to, but you're not going to stop. It doesn't, it doesn't work like Wile E. Coyote. You've got the parachute. Jesus is that parachute. But until you pull that ripcord, until you have saving faith, faith not in a church, faith not in membership, faith not in your good works, but a faith that trusts him, trusts him completely. You do not have saving faith until you pull the ripcord, until you make that personal response. You don't have saving faith. So this morning, would you like to make that decision to have saving faith? Pull the ripcord. Know that God loves you and he wants to save you. And today is your day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have spoken to us this morning. Thank you that your word is clear and beautiful. Lord, thank you that you turn us out from temptation. You, you protect us from temptation. Even when you lead us to a point where we are being tested in our faith, you always provide the way out. Lord, you never call us to give in to temptation, ever. Lord, Thank you that you care so much about our relationship with you that you have put these markers in our lives, these, these speed bumps, these barriers, so we can love you more and know you better. Lord, there's someone here this morning who has never accepted you as Savior. I pray that they understand the gospel this morning. They understand your character. They understand the offensiveness, the offense of their own sin to you. They understand the sufficiency of Christ to take that sin. They understand that they need to make a personal response this morning. 
They understand that there is an eternal urgency, that this may be their last opportunity to choose, Lord, and that they may understand that there is a life transformation that occurs. If we accept you as our Savior, our life is different. It's a 180. It is a turn from what we were to what we are now. God, you can do amazing things in lives this morning, and I pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe you, this is the first time you've understood the gospel and you want to receive Jesus this morning. Maybe you've accepted Christ and you haven't followed in obedience and baptism. Maybe you have accepted Christ, but you rush headlong into temptation. You don't avoid it. You don't pray for deliverance. Maybe this morning you need to come to grips with that. God is calling you to be used. God is calling you to be a part of the, the prayer team as we go out with Can We Talk in the coming weeks. God's calling you to something else. What is he calling you to do? This morning, you come as we sing, as we pray. You may want to pray at this altar. You may want to pray with me. But you come and you do business with God this morning as we sing.